Well, again, we're in a, we've been in a somewhat unique season in this class. Rather than teaching about a particular group of scriptures, chapter something, verses something to something, we are taking the event of the ascension, which we also did with the resurrection and the crucifixion in Gethsemane. And hopefully hearing from the Holy Spirit explanations and enlargement of these great events of our faith that will help us to better contextualize and expand our understanding and appreciation of what God has done for us and in us in Christ. And so you'll notice there is no particular scripture reference that I can give at any particular. Today, we're going to be studying this scripture and underneath it, begin to explain that, although there will be scriptures contained in it. And so again, thank you for being here. Thank you for continuing. And our hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit is actually enlarging us as to our understanding of what he is doing in our lives and the significance of of this event called the Ascension. Remember last week we talked about our justification. I'm not going to do this, but if I were to ask, just point to someone who's, how many of you were not here last week? Okay. If you weren't here, hopefully you're listening online. I think it's critical, especially as we have been discussing these five theological underpinnings And then today and the next few weeks, the specific ministry of the Holy Spirit of how he accomplishes these theological goals or this theological goal contained in these five words. But if I were to ask, just point it out someone and ask you to stand and just in a very simple way, tell us, what does justification mean? I'm not going to do that. You should be able to stand and at least give a short, brief, and easy description of what it means to be justified. And then, if I were to ask you, what is the basis, what is the legal basis for God justifying us? You should be able to give a brief and short, simple answer to that. Because as we will see today... Hopefully, if I will get to the lesson, as we will see today, one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is to make sure that we understand and walk in the good and in the power and in the truth of what God has done for us in Christ so that we as God's people can be continue to be comforted, stabilized, and matured in Christ. And so, once again, I plead with you, if you have not been listening to an explanation of these five theological underpinnings, remember what they are, foreknowledge, go with me on this, predestination, call, justified, 
and glorified I mentioned briefly, which we'll talk about later. So let's go with what we have. So last week we saw the divine basis for God declaring us a legal declaration, a legal pronouncement, a legal judgment from the judge of the world, a legal judgment, saying that his people whom he has foreknown, only those whom he has foreknown, not everybody, those whom he has foreknown, these he's also what? Predestined. Those, these whom he has predestined, he's also what? Called. And these whom he has called, he is also what? Justified. So we see we're talking about justification, not for everyone on earth, but for those whom God has foreknown before the foundation of the world. God has declared his foreknown people as not guilty of any sin whatsoever and forever. Correct? That's the legal or forensic declaration of judgment. What is the legal basis? Because God must adhere to a legal basis. Why? Because he is the God who is holy and righteous and he does nothing contrary to his own nature, to his own righteousness. So what's the legal basis for God saying that we're without Uh, I'm sorry, we're not guilty, we're justified. The legal basis for that is the very righteousness of Christ. So why are we saved? We are saved because God has declared us righteous as a result of being represented by and substituted by Christ in his own righteousness, culminating at the cross in his payment for our sin. So we're not saved because we have faith. We have to be careful. We're not saved because we have faith. We're saved because of Christ, which we receive, what? By faith. Do we see the distinction? Because too many Christians think that because I have exercised faith in Christ, therefore I am saved. That is not correct. You and I are saved because God has foreknown us in the righteousness of his own son, which he applies to us when the Holy Spirit enters us, calling being born again, or Ezekiel 36. Remember those verses. And when he does that, he changes our heart from a resistant, sinful, stony heart, giving us a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that is pliable and alive to God. And then in that context of that change, he produces in us or brings forth in us the ability and the desire to say yes to that which he is giving us or even has given us when he enters us and we are receiving it. Do we get that? But why are we saved? The legal basis of my salvation is what? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. We make sure we get this straight. If we don't, then our walk is going to be unsteady all the days of our life. So let's go ahead. Now, so we see this in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. In love, 
God has predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. What? According to the purpose of his will. And the legal basis for that adoption is our justification in Christ because of his own righteousness. And the purpose of his will. What is the purpose of God's will? The good pleasure, the good purpose of his will. What is, why did God save us? So that in his people, the glory, the majesty, the incredible whateverness of God's love may be manifested in us. So the end result of all of this is not me or you. But the end result of all of this is that in us as his vessels, the Father's love, the glory of the Father may be manifested. Correct? That's why we were saved. For the manifestation of the glory of God the Father. Which glory is manifested in us because we are now in the Son who is the Father's glory. Do we see the the trail? So let's keep our salvation and let's keep the work of God on the basis and centrally located in God and not in us. Because we're not careful. It, It is very easy to begin to think about something for and about us as too central in this great work of God's salvation. So you see, once again, we see that it's all about God, all from God and all for God. So in the ascension, in the ascension, the Father's purpose to be glorified in his people is going to be fulfilled when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Why does Jesus send the Holy Spirit? Not primarily to save us, no. Primarily to fulfill God's purpose of being glorified in us through saving us. You see, we must turn our attention away from ourselves as primary and see ourselves as vessels or as the means of that which is primary, which is the Father's glory. So why were you born again? Oh, here's someone new and hasn't been in the class before. Frank, would you introduce this lovely young lady? Who is this? Two mistakes he made. First is Abby, his daughter. Second mistake. Shall I tell you the second mistake? You're going to be in trouble. I said lovely young lady. And the second mistake is you should have looked at Annette first. Oh, I'm telling you, Frank. (laughs) Oh, man. Aren't you you glad you have such a lovely teacher? (laughs) Oh, man. That's Annette Ebuyer. Glad to see, I'm sorry, uh, what's your name again? (laughs) Abby Ebuyer, good to see you, Abby. So look, look. We are glorified in the glory of the Son in whom the Father is glorified. Remember John 17, Jesus just prays about this in the first five verses. And so at the Last Supper, Jesus says these words. He says, well, remember, he's going away. And Philip says, you know, will you show us the Father? And that'll be enough for us. 
And what does Jesus say in John 14, 9? Philip, have I been with you this long and you're still asking me to show us the Father? Now, what is the most astounding statement that Jesus makes about himself? I think this is one of the most astounding statements that Jesus makes about himself that no man can make. If you have seen me, you have what? Seen the Father. So that in me, in my person, in my character, in my nature, in my activities, in my words, in my thoughts, in my motives, in my desires, in every aspect of myself, you want in you're seeing a man, but in this man and through this man, you are actually and literally seeing the activity and the proof and the manifestation of God the Father. Now, that's an astounding statement. At least it is to me. So, Jesus creates the context, or at least sets forth the context. His whole purpose in being incarnate is to reveal the Father. So that in that revelation, through his obedience, even unto death, those for whom he dies, who are in him judicially when he dies, may also be those vessels in whom the Father will be manifested. So this means that Jesus is the visible vessel of the Father's glory. Remember what Colossians 1.15 says? He is the image of the invisible God. Then in verses 16 and 17, Jesus explains that his ministry of manifesting the Father's glory will be accomplished by sending the Holy Spirit. If Jesus doesn't send the Holy Spirit... The Father will never be able to be manifested in us for a particular reason. And he says this in verses 16 and 17 of John 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that this helper, he, may be with you forever. And who is this helper? The spirit of truth. I'm going to give you another helper. He'll be with you forever. Now, we move along. In this discourse in the Last Supper, and we get to John 15, 17, 26. And Jesus now tells you exactly how the helper will fulfill the purpose of God in Christ. Extremely significant statement here. And in fact, I think this is one of the least recognized statements of significance. Here's what Jesus tells the disciples. When the helper comes, whom are we talking about? The Holy Spirit. When he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, and it's called the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. Wait, wait. Jesus is sending, but God is sending him. And there's a debate. Well, here's what happens. The Father sends the Holy Spirit through the authorization of the Son. The Father's agent of sending the Holy Spirit is the Son who has been given all authority. So the Father sends and the Son sends. They both send together, if you would. And so what is it? What is he going to do? When the Holy Spirit comes, what is he going to do? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life? 
he will bear witness or he will testify or he will manifest Jesus himself in us. That means this, that everything the Holy Spirit does in me has one motive. Everything the Holy Spirit says to me and through me or through you, us, has what? One motive, one central motive from which many things proceed, a hub. Every activity of the Holy Spirit has one purpose. What is that? This is where so many, if you would, charismatics especially, miss the significance of the Holy Spirit. Why does Jesus give us the Holy Spirit? By birthing us into the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit in us now has the central purpose to reveal Jesus in me in the same way that the Holy Spirit revealed the Father in Jesus. Did we see that? The purpose of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus was to empower this man to manifest the Father. Correct? Are you with me? Did you see that? And now that this man, this heavenly man, this son of man, this son of God as the son of man has risen and ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of the Father with all authority. He sends the Holy Spirit to do in us what he did in the earthly ministry of Jesus, and that is to reveal Jesus in us. Why? So that to the extent that Jesus is revealed in me, who is being glorified in me? The Father. Who then is being glorified or revealed in me? The Father. To the extent that Jesus is being revealed in me, the Father is being revealed in me. You, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And as to that extent, the Father ultimately is being what? Glorified. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, there are ways that the Holy Spirit accomplishes this. And in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about at least three ways that the Holy Spirit, or two, whatever it is, ways that the Holy Spirit accomplishes this. But the central issue or the central significance, and we must make sure we get this, of the Holy Spirit in me is to bring me into Christ to apply to me the accomplished, finished work of Jesus on the cross, John nineteen thirty. For those whom God has foreknown, so that in us the Father may be glorified as he also was in Jesus, as Jesus manifested the Father by the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, this man, Jesus, did not manifest the Father on his own within the context of his own natural abilities. He manifested the Father in being a man who was absolutely and and completely and comprehensively submitted to and obedient to the Father in every aspect of his life, at every turn in his life. And this was only possible by the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, Jesus would not have been able to redeem us. 
we must make sure that we see the whole trinity in this, not just Jesus now is the one in some kind of way the Holy Spirit comes along and tries to get us going in this and kind of move us along. That's not what's going on. This is a Trinitarian work that all three persons of the Trinity are fully involved yet through distinct roles. So what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit in my life, in your life? Why did God save us? John 15, 26. When the Holy Spirit comes, the helper whom I will send from the Father, remember the Father is send what? He will what? Bear or testify, whatever your Bible says. He will testify of me or he will bear witness to me. He has one purpose. To make Jesus known. And to the extent that Jesus himself is known, in all the vicissitudes of that, to the extent that that happens, who else is being made known? The Father. And ultimately, who is being glorified? The Father. That is Genesis 126. That's what's encapsulated in Genesis 126. That's what it means to be an image bearer. That's what God is after. That's what the whole Bible is about. And that glorification of the Father only comes through a people who are in solidarity relationally or in community with the Father as they are in community with one another. It's a fellowshipping, intimate, relational context here that we're talking about. And the atmosphere of that is God's love. So let's talk about three ways that Jesus actually manifests himself by the Spirit. This morning we're going to talk about Jesus as our helper. And then the next week or two weeks, whatever, we'll talk about Jesus manifests, I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit manifests Jesus as our helper. Then he manifests Jesus by what? The fruit of the Spirit. And he also manifests Jesus in the gifts of the Spirit. But what is the context? What is the baseline? What is the baseline? All of it is about manifesting one man. One man in me. Who is that man, Alice? Jesus, you're right. Okay, one man, Jesus. So let me go through the first part of this pretty quickly. I think it'll be, I, did, I don't, didn't feel led to go into detail on all of these or we'll be here another six months. Remember in John what Jesus says, the spirit of truth he is the helper. I will send you another helper. Number one, as our helper, the Spirit causes Jesus to become alive and active in our hearts and minds by his ministry of vivifying the Word of God to us. What do I mean by vivifying? Making alive this Word. Remember Hebrews 4.12? For the Word of God is what? Living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You remember that, that uh, Word? Why is it alive in us? How does the Word of God become alive in us? It is alive in us as the Holy Spirit takes this either written or spoken word, which doesn't do anything in anyone's life except by the power of the Spirit, because Jesus doesn't do anything on his own. John 15, I'm sorry, John 5, 30. I think that's the verse. I do nothing on my own. And so the Word of God does nothing on its own, isolated from the Holy Spirit. 
It is vivified by the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus, who is the Word, doesn't do anything on his own, isolated or independent of the Holy Spirit. It has to be a Trinitarian work. So what happens? When the Word of God is proclaimed, whether it's proclaimed in preaching on Sunday morning or at Alpha, when Frank is teaching over there or out on the street or you're counseling someone or you're sharing, when the Word of God is proclaimed, it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to make that word <gasps> alive in men. <clears throat> All of a sudden, I'm being changed on the inside. Why? Because you have so eloquently spoken, Mike, and you've given enough Andy uh, ex- examples, and you've made sure that you I dotted everything. No. It's happened because the Holy Spirit applies the word of God livingly to our hearts either saving us or convincing us of our condemnation, which we reject if we're not being saved. One or the other is going to happen. As our help of the Spirit leads us into all truth. Who is the truth? What does John 14, say, 6 say? Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when the Bible says the Spirit of truth What can we say, James? This is the spirit of Christ. And the Bible calls the spirit of that. He brings us into all truth, which means what? He reveals Jesus who is the truth to us. He is bringing us into more and more relational and moral correspondence to Christ himself, who is the living truth of God. You see, truth is not an, uh, 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 an abstract. Truth is a person. Truth is not an abstract. Life is not abstract. Way is not abstract. These are descriptions of a holy God. Number three, as our help of the Spirit convicts us of our sin. Remember John 16, 8, when the Spirit comes, he will what? Convict the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he will convict us of our sins so that we will continue to walk as justified people of God. The Holy Spirit in us must continually convict us of our sin. Not as to condemnation, but unto correction. Are you with me? Are you here today? The Spirit continually convicts me. How many of you get convicted of sin by the Spirit? For those of you who didn't raise your hand, are you beyond sin now? How many of us get convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit? Why? To condemn us? No. To keep us stable in Christ. To correct us. To deal with that which is polluting us. To flush us and purify us of that pollution. So we will more clearly and regularly manifest Jesus, the purpose of conviction of the Holy Spirit. Thank God he convicts me of sin. Are you thankful for that? Every time you're convicted of sin, do you say, oh, God, thank you so much? Or do you say, oh, here I go, God. Oh, man, just thank God, thank you for conviction. And then do what God tells you to do. Confess it. You're right, I'm wrong. And then ask God to create in you a greater work a power of repentance and cleansing you. Ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse you and to purify your mind, to empower you in a greater way. 
to resist and say no to that temptation. Don't wallow in self-pity. There is no self-pity in Christ. There's no room for it. As I help, the Spirit is our advocate. Now, when you look at John 14, 16, when he comes, the helper. Everybody see where John 14, 16 is, the helper. The word is parakleotos. It can be translated through several other words. It can be translated as helper. How many of your Bibles say helper? Well, you may not have your Bibles open. How many of your Bibles say counselor? Some Bibles say comforter. If you have King James, it's going to say comforter. How many of your Bibles say advocate? Your Bible actually says an advocate? It says advocate. So the word help, parakletos, can be translated correctly. Intercessor? Hmm. I didn't know that. Advocate? Helper? Counselor? Comforter? It's one who comes alongside of us and does a multitude or various types of ministry. But the rest of the time, I'm going to quickly talk about the advocacy of the Holy Spirit. An advocate is a legal representative, a lawyer, who defends our case before a court. Do we get that? That's what an advocate is. It's a legal representative or an attorney who represents us before the charge of a court. 1 John 2, 1. Remember this. If anyone sinned, we have what? An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so, how is the Holy Spirit our advocate? The Spirit advocates to us on the basis or out of the advocacy of our high priest, Jesus Christ, before the Father. The Spirit is representing us on the basis of Jesus who represents us legally, if you would, in one way, before the court of God. You see, this verse tells us that Jesus is our divine advocate in the heavens who represents us before the Father as justified. Correct? Jesus tells the Father, if you would... My people are justified. What does justified mean again? Not guilty. So that's what Jesus does before the Father. He is representing us legally as our attorney before the Father, before the court of God. When you sin, Jesus says, my people have been declared not guilty on the basis of my own righteousness. And the Father accepts that statement, correct? That judgment. Because the Father has made the judgment in Christ. So Jesus is doing that in heaven for us. That's one of the things. So this, for, if you would, Jesus speaks to the Father on our behalf. But now in John 14, 16, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is the divine advocate within us who represents God to us. We have a representative in heaven who speaks what? How did I say it? Yeah, to Father on our behalf. And now we have a legal representative on earth who speaks to us about God. 
who tells us something of the Father's judgment as to our justification when we need that. Now, why is that necessary? Remember First Peter, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Okay, we have an accuser. We have the one who is ever accusing and pointing to our failure. We have one, if you would, on our shoulder who is constantly speaking to us about you failed, you sin, you sin, you failed. That's the 88th time in the last day. You've done this, you've done this. Do any of you recognize that voice? Now, I thought the Holy Spirit was convicting us. There is a difference in the voice. One voice says, my child, you've sinned, and I have forgiven, and I want you to know about it so I can give you whatever correction and leadership to increase you in my love. You see, it's, it's a conviction of the Holy Spirit always brings about peace and joy. That's when you know it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I can be convicted of the Holy Spirit of sin. I may, Charles, feel shame about it. I shouldn't have done that. And that you should, and I should. But the gut feeling, sorry. You see? But the gut feeling, sorry. But the heart feeling is one of what? Thankfulness to God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But when the devil speaks about the same sin, about the same activity, he speaks about a guilt that requires condemnation. And the gut feeling, notice heart and gut feeling, is fear and unsettlement. That's the devil speaking. So we have a spiritual barometer in us, don't we? If the voice that I'm hearing is creating fear and gut, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never creates a fear in us as to condemnation or judgment. Amen? <clears throat> Why? Romans 8, 1 says what? There's there no judgment. No judgment, no condemnation for us who are in Christ. So how do we stand firm? Peter says in verse 9, stand firm against this prowling, prowling lion. How do we do it? How do we do it? We stand firm against the lives of Satan by listening to and depending upon the Spirit who is our divine advocacy. You see, Satan's purpose is to undermine our faith and trust in God. It's to undermine that faith. It's to destabilize our walk of faith, which is a walk that reveals Jesus in me. That's the purpose of the accuser. He is a liar, the father of lies, and a liar from the beginning. Who said that? Jesus said it to whom? 
to the Pharisees where? He's a father of lies. He is a liar from the beginning. You are of your father, the devil. Where did he say that? John 8, what? 44. So when the devil speaks, and he speaks regularly to us. He speaks what? Regularly to us. His message is always one. To break down our dependence upon and trust in what God has done. To break down our dependence upon and trust in our justification in Christ. To begin to cause us to think that maybe I am not fully forgiven. That when I have done this for the 38th time, now I need to do something in order to rectify this. (gasps) I need to do something to make amends. How many of us think that? I need to do something to make amends. Jesus made all the amends. Amen? It's impossible. And not only is it impossible, but it is a, an insult to divine justice. We cannot do it. And even thinking it and attempting it begins to become, if we're not careful, an insult against the divine love of God. So when the devil attacks, when I sin, if I'm not careful, if I don't have a good, clear, stabilized, current, up-to-date, working understanding and experience of what my justification in Christ is, I will begin to fumble and fall in my walk. And Jesus, if you would, is going to begin to look like a cripple. There's a particular set of verses in 1 John 3, 19 and 21. Let me read them to you. John is talking about continuing in sin and not continuing in sin as God's people. And he says, by this we know that we are of the truth and assure our heart before God. Did you get it? Assure our heart before God. Can become stabilized and trusting before God. Whoever, for whenever our heart condemns us, What is that? That's the condemnation of Satan. Daniel, you sinned. Then the first thought may be fear. Why? Because you have stepped out away from your understanding of justification. When our heart condemns us, what? God is greater than our heart. Do you hear the Holy Spirit, the advocacy? He's greater than our heart. And he knows everything. What does that mean? He also knows John 19.30. It is finished. Do you see that, Valinda? God knows how much. All of it. So, Karen, when you were feeling condemned by your sin, God already knows that condemnation is not for you. It's been placed on another. He knows this. Beloved, if our hearts do not, if our heart does not condemn us, that Romans 8, 1 does not apply to us, we have confidence before God. You see, we know. What do we know? 
What do we know by the advocacy of the Holy Spirit? Romans 8, 1 is mine. Romans 8, 29 and 30 is mine. What does that mean? Justified, why? Because I have faith in Christ? No. Justified, why? Because of the righteousness of God's Son, which has been placed to my account by the judge of the world. You see why justification is so significant and why the advocacy of the Holy Spirit is so necessary. You see, it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to continually remind us that God has justified us through or on the basis of the good work of Christ and not ours. On the sinlessness of Christ and not my sinlessness. And so in this way, we continue to be kept stable and our walk in righteousness is continue to mature. So on earth, we have an advocate. What's his name? The Holy Spirit. And among many other things, what does he do? When we are accused by Satan of that we are guilty of sin, we need to say this, Satan John 8:44 <clears throat> You're a liar because Romans 8:1 is mine. Yes, I sinned, but the guilt of that sin has been placed on Christ. Amen. Yes, I have sinned, confession, but the guilt of that sin is where? On Christ. And that guilt has been condemned and put to death and buried. Never to come up out of the grave again. Because when this man rose from the dead, he rose leaving our guilt where? Forever buried. Forever buried as to the justice of God. I need that. So the next time you sin, check your barometer. And if you feel the Guilt, gut. You're listening to the wrong person. Voice. That's the devil. He gets you in the gut. Called the bowels of God in the King James. God doesn't speak to us. We feel it in our bowels. Interesting, bowels. You know what that means. (laughs) Really? No, really? Why not? God, you like that, huh? You okay? Catch your breath now. You'll be okay. <gasps> she, she, she's okay. God doesn't speak to us about our bowels. He speaks to us to our new hearts in Christ. And when we hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Next week, we're going to talk about the next two areas in which the Holy Spirit manifests Christ to us.